Good morning. We're thankful you're here this morning. If you have your Bible, you can be turning to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, and we will meet there here in just a moment. We're thankful that you're here. Uh, first of all, I have an announcement that was passed to me. Uh, and this says that Dawn Stinnett, or Dawn Stinnett had to leave this morning in a lot of pain, and she thinks she may be dealing with a kidney stone. So we want to add her to our prayer list. Uh, that was passed to me right there as services, uh, in the middle of services. Uh, so, Harrison, you didn't miss that one. Uh, I know an elder who is terrified of doing announcements because you get about 45 handed to you right before services start. So uh, that was not missed, but was uh, something that Dawn just started dealing with, and we want to add her to our prayer list. But we are thankful that you are here uh, this morning, especially on a day like today. We enjoy the good Sundays where the weather is nice, but a lot of times it's hard and difficult to get out on a day like today. We're thankful that you're here. It's supposed to get bad uh, again this evening or this afternoon, so as always, uh, we ask you just to use your best judgment. We want you here if you can be here. We'll be assembling together at 6 o'clock to study again, but if, uh, if the weather's in the way, then we understand if maybe you need to, to stay home. We're thankful for all of those that we can pray for on our sick list. Um, we're sometimes saddened when we have a bit of a lengthy sick list, but it does sometimes make for uh, good opportunities to be reunited. We're thankful that Lee Robertson is able to be with us this morning, as many have been able to pray for him. And there are many others who have been out. And we're always thankful for the time that we can be back together. As Harrison was saying in our announcements, we've got a lot of things going on, especially on our second Sundays. If you can be at the nursing home or at the health care center there at 2 o'clock or the teens singing or any of the meetings that are going on today, uh, we're thankful for all the good activities that are going on. And if you are here visiting with us, uh, especially if you are looking for a church home, uh, there are a lot of, of good things, a lot of exciting things going on here at Saudi, and we're thankful for the opportunities that lie before us. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, you may find a passage that you're very familiar with. Matthew records for us that then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. If you like to take notes and you have your bulletin in front of you, you might jot this passage down, maybe out to the side. I did not have enough room to include it in there, but it's important as we begin our discussion this morning to notice what takes place here. Jesus has died. He shed his sinless, perfect blood on the cross of Calvary. He was buried and he rose again. And after that, he appears for a number of days to other people. You can find a list of those places and, and other, other books or other things. You can find the list of the people that Jesus uh, interacted with after he had risen from the grave. And he says at one point that he would meet the disciples there on the mountain at Galilee. And he gives them here what we oftentimes call the Great Commission. And we focus a lot of times on the word baptize. And as we've talked about in the last few weeks, very importantly in our discussion on salvation, baptism for the remission of sins is essential to salvation. But when we focus only on that word in this passage, we sometimes miss what the actual command is. Notice that Jesus says that they are to go, first of all, and to make disciples. Go and make disciples. Now, the way that you make disciples is by baptizing a person in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for the remission of their sins. And then, even as he says there in verse number 20, you teach them. 
So you actually have to teach and then baptize and then teach because there's more things that have to be learned. But notice the command or the commands there is to go and to make disciples. Now, at this time, as they think about this task that is in front of them, and you may notice if you have your bulletin that we kind of refer to them as 11 missionaries. But these 11 missionaries have this task. And when they think about the world around them, there's really only two groups of people, really just two groups of people in the world at that time. That's kind of hard to imagine, but just two. There's the Jews and the Gentiles. And if you're a Bible person, if you've studied the Bible a lot in your life, you, you kind of know that. You've heard about that before. There's the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, what's interesting is Jesus makes this statement to those who are there, these 11 missionaries. Both of these two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, are going to provide a bit of an obstacle, if you will to this task that was just given by Jesus. And what we want to do this morning is, is notice those obstacles and then make some application as we think about our topic, which is, if you, again, if you have your outline at the top, but we're going to come around to it by the time that we're done. The first obstacle this morning to preaching the gospel, to baptizing, to making disciples, the first obstacle is that the Jews just killed Jesus. I mean, we're not too many days away from the fact that these 11, or at least some of them, witnessed the suffering of the Son of God. They tell, Jesus says to them, he tells them, go and make disciples. And you can put yourself in their shoes as they're saying, seriously? The Jews just killed Jesus on the cross. And now he's telling these 11 to go and make disciples of this group of people. But Jesus had actually given them a few clues. First of all, in John chapter 14, and also in John chapter 16, first in John 14 and verse number 26, Jesus had kind of given them some clues, although we know from Scripture that a lot of times those things would right over their head, and they wouldn't even catch maybe what he was saying. John 14 and verse number 26, Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Notice over in John 16, in verse number 13, Jesus says there, continuing on, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears from me, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. Notice that Jesus tells them that, that the Holy Spirit would come and would cause them to remember all that Christ had said to them. And as well that he would guide them into all truth. Now if you've got your Bible, go over to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Specifically verse 5 beginning. Where Jesus again is talking to this group gathered together. And he says, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. And notice verse number 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus had given them a clue to this obstacle already. But you can imagine as they're told to go and make disciples that they're saying, well, how are we supposed to do that? Because the Jews have just done this. This is their question. How are we going to make disciples? If Jesus himself couldn't do it, by the way, he was just hung on the cross after trying to do it. If Jesus himself couldn't do it, how are we supposed to do it? They're probably looking at each other saying, well, we have nothing. 
We don't have anything written down. We don't even have Jesus himself here anymore who can help us. But if you've got your Bible, notice Acts chapter 2. And of course, I had to put the whole chapter up there, verses 1 through 47. We obviously won't read all of that, but let's begin in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Here in Acts chapter 2, many of the Jews of the world are gathered together in Jerusalem, in one place here on the day of Pentecost, to celebrate this day of Pentecost, this feast of the first fruits. And so as these men are asking, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to make disciples? Something happens. And that's what we sometimes refer to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Peter and the other apostles did not sit down the night before and say, okay, well, I'm going to give the introduction and here's the point that you're going to make and here's the point that you're going to make. They didn't all sit down and talk about what they were going to say on that day, but by the baptism of the Holy Spirit and then their guidance as the Spirit gave them utterance, they're able to preach this, what we sometimes call or oftentimes call this first great gospel sermon. And they're able to actually do three things here to these unbelieving Jews. They're able to convict these unbelieving Jews that, first of all, that this message that they're preaching was from God. Secondly, that Jesus was both Lord and Christ. And yes, even thirdly, that they killed him. That they crucified this Jesus who is both Lord and Christ. And they are guilty of killing the Son of God. That's what they are able to convict this crowd of unbelieving Jews of. How were these men able to complete such a task? Well, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this morning we notice as we talk about this, the purpose of this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, one, it was to confirm the message or to confirm the moment. We oftentimes point to Acts 2 and a lot of times people in the world give us a hard time and talk, all you people talk about is Acts chapter 2. Well, it was a momentous day. It was a great message. And it is confirmed by this baptism of the Holy Spirit what the people were able to witness that day. They're all able to recognize what is taking place with these men who are standing before them and saying these things. They're able to recognize that. We don't have time, but as you go on down through verses 5 through 13, before Peter begins speaking, look at verse number 7 if you're still there. Then they were all amazed and marveled. They're amazed and marveled as what is taking place here. So the one of the purposes was to confirm the message, that the message was from God. But number two, it was to guide them as well to teaching in an infallible way. Again, they didn't have to sit around on Saturday night or the night before and say, well, what are we going to do as a preacher might have to do today on Saturday night? Well, what am I going to say? I got to plan all these thoughts. I got to have it all laid out. They didn't have to do that. The Holy Spirit, remember John 14 and verse 26, was called the helper. They had the helper to guide them into all truth in an infallible way. They didn't have to have a scroll that they would pull out. They didn't have to have it all written down or all committed to memory. They had the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit to guide them into all truth. 
So obstacle number one of going and making disciples, obstacle number one that the Jews just killed Jesus is removed by God. It's removed out of the way by God. Because of this baptism of the Holy Spirit, those Jews are able to witness this, become convicted of their sin, and be baptized for the remission of that sin. And as you see on later in the chapter, many of us are familiar with chapter, or excuse me, verses 40 through 47. Those who gladly received the word were baptized, and about 3,000 souls were added to them on that day. Obstacle number one, the Jews killing Jesus, removed by God through this act of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But remember, their task was to go to all nations. They weren't just to stop right there. They were to go into all nations, which brings us to our second obstacle, which is that these Jews hate. And I cannot use that word strongly enough. These Jews hate the Gentiles. About the, maybe the best example I can come up with is all of you lovely University of Tennessee Vol fans and the disdain that you have for those of us who cheer for that team down south in Crimson. All right, I mean, hate the Gentiles. The Jews despise, hate the Gentiles. We're talking about 1,500 years. 1,500 years of division and prejudice that takes place here. And so if we're going to go and make disciples it's going to be maybe the greatest obstacle that we're going to do this to the Gentiles whom the Jews despise. You may recall in John chapter 4, in verse number 9, that as Jesus meets what we call the Samaritan woman at the well, that she says to Jesus, or it's recorded for us there, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. There was a division, not even speaking to one another. And we're about to go to a passage in just a moment, but in Acts chapter 10 and verse number 28, Peter says to those in Cornelius' house, you know it is unlawful. It is unlawful for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of, an, of another nation. Do you remember what it was like to be chosen? Do you remember what it was like to be chosen back in school? For a lot of us, maybe it was out on the kickball field. You know what it was like to be chosen? It was always made you feel good. Well, the Jews, of course, are the chosen ones. And there's this barrier that they've got to get over that they are the chosen ones. But yet Jesus has said to go and make disciples of all nations. The obstacle is that the Jews hate the Gentiles. If you want anybody to go talk to the Gentiles, and again, we're only talking about the two groups of people here, you're going to have a hard time because this is a great obstacle. So again, the question, the question for those who would be going and doing this is, how are we going to make disciples? Well, we come to Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. We're going to focus mainly on 10, although we'll touch on 11 just a little bit. But in Acts chapter 10, Peter is persuaded to go to the house of the good man, Cornelius. And he is a good man. He's described that way. And Peter's persuaded by a vision from God. But not only a vision but also of the arrival of some of these men from Cornelius' house. Cornelius sent them to find Peter. And, you know, you hate it when the preacher gives homework, but here's your homework. If you have time today, you can go home and read and remind yourself of Acts 10 because we only have time to touch on it for just a moment this morning. But Peter has this vision. Well, excuse me, let me back up. First of all, Cornelius has a vision. Then Peter has a vision. Then they meet together. And as they meet, Peter has the opportunity to preach this great sermon again. And I say it's the great sermon because it may be a little different, 
But it still has the same basis, just as many of our lessons do today. And then look at verse number 44 of Acts chapter 10. While Peter was still speaking, these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And then go over to chapter 11 in verse number 15. And by the way, very quickly, in chapter 11, Peter is telling what happens in chapter 10. So we'll get there in a minute. But 11 verse 15, Peter says, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Now remember, Peter's already seen this once before. You know, he says, I've seen this movie before. I know what happens here because he recognizes because he was there in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit fell and there was a Holy Spirit baptism. Remember his, his concern, his questioning in Acts chapter 10 and verse number 14. We didn't have time to touch on it. But as Peter has his vision, remember in verse number 14, he says in his vision there in response to it, not so, Lord. You can picture him holding his hands up, maybe saying, no, 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 not, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. As he sees these unclean things coming down and he is told to kill and eat, he says, no, 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 not me. I wouldn't do that. I've never done that before. So the question is, what could possibly break down this barrier? If the Jews hate the Gentiles that much and the obstacle is that strong, what could possibly tear down this barrier that the Jews would not even talk to the Gentiles? What would possibly be involved to cause this to happen? And that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Confirming God's approval here in Acts chapter 10 and verse number 44. And again, even as Peter recounts it in chapter 11 and verse number 15. What was Peter's reaction initially? We just looked at chapter 10 and verse 14. But notice in chapter 10 and verse number 45. And those of the circumcision, by the way, that's the Jews, two categories of people. This is the Jews who believed were astonished. They were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Notice chapter 11 in verse number 2. As Peter goes to tell what's happened. And when Peter came to Jerusalem to the Jews, to the Jews, those of the circumcision, the Jews, contended with him. They're going to argue about it because they're saying, no, no, this is not right. Notice in verse 3, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. You broke the rule. You did something that no one else does. And they have a problem. Notice in chapter 11 and verse number 4. But Peter explained it to them from the beginning. In order from the beginning saying. And he gives them the description of what took place in chapter 10. And you go all the way down to verse number 16. And Peter says, Then I remembered the word of the Lord. How he said, John indeed baptized with water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? And when they heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. What could break down the barrier of how bad the Jews hated the Gentiles? It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Obstacle number two, removed by God. What was the purpose of this baptism of the Holy Spirit in this second occasion in Acts chapter 10? 
Well, it was to confirm the message or the moment. Again, not necessarily the message, although that may be part of it, but the moment here. Again, people will harp on us sometimes. Oh, you guys talk about it in Acts 2. Rightfully so. But Acts chapter 10 is a pretty important passage as well. Because a great moment occurs here confirmed by the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon the house of Cornelius. But as well, it was to show that the gospel was open to all mankind. The purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit here in Acts chapter 10 was to confirm that the gospel was open to all mankind. It was to break down that obstacle, that barrier that the Jews had. Again, chapter 11 in verse number 18. They're able to say, after they are silenced, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance unto life. What great days, what great moments, what great passages to think about what occurs here. Now, as we kind of wrap things up here for a few moments, I'd like to share with you a few other thoughts or a few other notes. That's kind of a, a backwards way, if you will, or a roundabout way to talk about what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are many questions sometimes about the Holy Spirit, especially in regards to the world today. You can Google it, and I would maybe caution you on that because you'll find a plethora of things. The Holy Spirit, you'll find all kinds of information. Some of it may be true, some of it may be false. All kinds of different ideas about the Holy Spirit. We obviously don't have time this morning to get into all of that. But one thing that we can talk about is the baptism. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. But let's notice a few things as we conclude our lesson here. There's about four up there. I'll take them one at a time, but uh, they're all up there at one time. First of all, notice that it's not necessarily called the baptism of the Holy Spirit in that sense. You do see there in verse number 16 that it talks about being baptized with the Holy Spirit, the words of Jesus. But when you look in Acts chapter 2, and then you see there in Acts chapter 10, the words that they were baptized with the Holy Spirit is not necessarily found there in that way. But what we do find is that there is an overwhelming, if you will, of the Holy Spirit or an immersion of the Holy Spirit. When you think about what we say and when the Bible talks about baptism, that it is an immersion. And you might also say that it is an overwhelming in the water as you are plunged down into the water, dipped all the way, fully immersed or overwhelmed by the water. And so while we do see the word here, again, in reference to Jesus saying it, baptized with the Holy Spirit, in both cases, you don't necessarily find that it's called that. But you do see this overwhelming. You see the word fell also, I think, in both passages, including in verse 44 there in Acts 10, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Notice, secondly, it was miraculous. Now, one thing that happens is they're able to speak in tongues. Again, not a lot of time to discuss all of that this morning, but in Acts chapter 2, they're, they're able to speak in tongues. People are able to hear without the, the necess, uh, being necessary to have a translator. If you ever watch anything that has to do with the UN or anything like that, you know you see all those people have got little earpieces in as they're getting the translation. Not needed. Speaking in tongues, every person was able to hear in Acts chapter 2 in their own language. And we see as well over in Acts chapter 10 that they were, and even into 11, that they were able to speak in tongues. So it was miraculous. But notice, even though it was miraculous, excuse me, they did not have equal power or authority. So when the apostles receive it in Acts chapter 2 and the house of Cornelius receives it in Acts chapter 10, they both receive it, but it doesn't have equal power or authority. What I mean is, is that Cornelius was not guided into all truth by what we can tell as the apostles were. 
Cornelius could not pass on the gift of the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands, these miraculous gifts, as the apostles were able to do. So we see the baptism of the Holy Spirit in both cases, but it's not necessarily that they have equal power or equal authority. Notice in the third place as well that the purpose or purposes were fulfilled. When the baptism of the Holy Spirit happened in Acts chapter 2, the purpose was fulfilled. And that purpose was that the gospel was given. And it's been given through the, the apostles by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we still have it today. We don't need that same baptism of the Holy Spirit to give us the word of God. We have it. Infallible. They didn't have it. They didn't have it at that time. I can imagine the apprehension of going, what am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to do? Jesus made him a promise that the helper would come, and he did. We don't need that same helper in that sense. The, uh, the purpose was accomplished, and today we have the word of God. But secondly, in Acts chapter 10, the purpose was fulfilled that everyone might know that the gospel was open to all mankind. It's not needed again today. Again, not needed. We know that the gospel is open to both Jew and Gentile, to men, of every, men and women of every race. And so we don't need that same thing today because the purpose has been fulfilled. And then fourth, notice that there are but just two instances of the Holy Spirit baptism in all of Scripture. If you've got your Bible still there, look in Acts chapter 11 and verse number 15. Notice the comparison that Peter makes. Now, remember, Peter has been at Cornelius' house. This has happened, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is a whole other lesson too. But then the baptism of Cornelius and his house. And then as Peter goes to recount what happened in Acts chapter 10, and he's talking to those who are gathered there, he's recalling. And in verse number 15, he's looking for a comparison. He's trying to figure out, what can I say? How can I describe it to these other people who weren't there? And in verse number 15, he said, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. What's he talking about? He's searching in his mind for a comparison to make to what happened to Cornelius' household right there. And he goes back to Acts chapter 2. That's the beginning that he is referring to there. And again, for the sake of time, we can't get into all of that. But that's what he's referring to. He goes back to the beginning of the Lord's church in Acts chapter 2. When he's trying to make a comparison to what he saw, he was there the first time. And he makes that comparison to the beginning there on the day of Pentecost. And notice as well the fact that these are the only two instances in Scripture. Paul later says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 5 that there is but one baptism. There's one baptism for us today. There's one baptism when Paul wrote those words. There's one baptism today. That's baptism immersed into water for the remission of sins. The Holy Spirit baptism is a real thing. It did occur. But his purposes were for. for were fulfilled and it is not needed today that's a lot to take in in regards to that deep discussion but notice as we finish this morning the baptism of the holy spirit was a miraculous event with a specific purpose and you might even say purposes with a couple of purposes but it had a specific purpose both times it was a miraculous event with a specific purpose Holy Spirit baptism was not, Holy Spirit baptism was not intended for everyone, nor was it promised to everyone, nor is it needed by everyone. But it was this miraculous event with a specific purpose. 
It doesn't apply to us today because it's not needed. And again, when it comes to not only this topic of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit in general, we can, I'd gladly sit down and discuss with you the scripture. We can talk about it, other things. There are others in this congregation that have had discussions recently about things. We're, we're always talking about it, reading about it, trying to understand because there is a lot of confusion in the world today. This morning, we don't have time to get into everything, but this is one thing that we can discuss and see this great and important occasions, these occasions that take place here, because it does set the stage going forward to the one baptism, to the gospel being open to all mankind, which is where we end our lesson this morning. As we always do, extending the Lord's invitation, that invitation to be baptized, not in the Holy Spirit, but in water for the remission of your sin. It's a great and wonderful commitment. If you're here this morning and you want to know more about that as well, we'd study with you even this day if you would give us the opportunity. It is what we do so that the Lord will add us to his church and that we can be on the path to heaven. But what happens is we fall off the path sometimes. We wander away. We turn aside. We turn back to our sinful ways. And we're not on the path to heaven anymore because our sin gets in the way of our relationship with God. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to become a Christian. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to come back to Christ. You need to partake in what we call God's second law of pardon. Repenting of your sins, confessing them to God, praying for forgiveness. And he is faithful to do just that. That you can again walk in the light as he is in the light. Maybe you're here this morning, you need to become a Christian, you need to come back to him. Maybe you need the prayers of this congregation to encourage you. It's for all those reasons we'll be singing to encourage you as we stand and as we sing.